are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Would you remain standing as we sing? I'm not saying, we're not singing. As we read from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 18 through 35. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you might believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas has the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good afternoon, church. It's good to be with you. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I hope that you uh, feel comfortable. You can come up and say hello afterwards. I'll have my mask back on. Uh, and we'd love to be able to meet you and help you get plugged in here in the life of our church if you're not already. Uh, before we dive into John 13, uh, this afternoon, let's just go to the Lord of Prayer and, and ask Him to bless this time. So would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the gift of grace that you've given us in Christ. God, that you, the creator of, of all things, who is high and lifted up, has made yourself known to us. And you've allowed us through Christ to be in relationship with you. Not just welcomed into the edge of your kingdom, but to have a seat at your table. To be called your sons and your daughters. So God, we thank you for that. And we thank you also, God, for the gift of grace that is the church. That you have called us into this family of brothers and sisters. So God, I pray that as we open up your word tonight, as we seek to dive in and see what Jesus has to say to us, what your living and active word has to say to us, God, would you help us to be attentive? I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us, that we 
we recognize that we are a community of called out ones. And we get to gather together tonight, online and in person. Help us, God, by the power of your spirit to grow in being faithful to who we are as your people because of who you are. So, God, we pray now as we open up your word that you'd illumine our hearts and minds for your glory and for our good. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as most of you know, uh, I have four kids, seven months, almost seven months, to ten years old. And so that means that in my house, there's a lot of giving instruction and direction. I mean, that's a key part of my role within my family for any mom and dad. We spend a lot of time doing that because part of our responsibility with any of us that have kids is to help them to grow and to learn and to thrive in life. But developmentally, though, kids are able to follow instructions at different levels depending on how old they are. I mean, I can't expect my seven-month-old Luke to follow directions like I do for my older kids. They just don't, he just doesn't have the, the cognitive ability yet to do that. In fact, many childhood experts, child development experts say that one- to two-year-olds can follow one simple instruction. So if you tell a one- to two-year-old, go get your jacket, they, they should be able to do that. Two- to three-year-olds can follow two-part instructions. Go to the closet and get your jacket. Three to four-year-olds can follow three-part instructions. Go to the closet, get your jacket, and your shoes. Well, as we come to our text today in this series in the Gospel of John called Seeing Jesus, we're going to see that Jesus, as he heads to the cross, as he goes to this plan and place that God has put into action since the beginning of time, he gives one simple instruction to his disciples, something pretty basic. But just because it's basic and just because it's simple doesn't mean that it's easy for any of us to follow in our own lives, whether we're 4, 14, or 40 years old. See, what Jesus calls us to in this text is extremely important for us as followers of Jesus. And I would say it's extremely important, especially right now in this cultural moment that we find ourselves in. We find ourselves in a world that's divided and often discouraging, in a culture that prizes and promotes individualism above all, in a society that is racked with lots of bad news and eagerly looking for and longing and in need of good news. And if you and I, as faithful followers of Jesus, if we faithfully seek to follow this basic instruction that Jesus gives to us, I believe that we can see healing happen within the context of our community. Healing change take place and real revival take place in our own church, in this community of people, and also among our neighbors. But who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that for our world? Who doesn't want that for our church? So whether you're younger or older, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or a short time, or maybe you're just checking out who Jesus is, and you came with a friend tonight to learn more about this person, Jesus, wherever you find yourself on your spiritual journey, I'm excited to dive into John 13 with you this evening. So let's do that now, and may we see Jesus more clearly today. Last week in John 13, we saw Jesus do something pretty extraordinary. He took on the lowliest of low positions, and he washed his disciples' feet. In these nasty, dirty feet, Jesus got down and went disciple by disciple, and he washed their feet individually. But this wasn't just a pragmatic thing for Jesus to do, because they did actually have dirty feet. It was a picture it was a picture, an illustration of the kind of love that Jesus was going to show, not just in this moment, but he was going to show as he went to the cross, to take on the lowest of all positions, dying as a substitute for sinners 
like these disciples that were in the room that night, sinners like you and me. Well, as we come to our text today, we see John continue to advance this story. And we're going to look at verses 18 through 33 pretty briefly, just to kind of get the lay of the land of what's happening as Jesus is heading to the cross. And then we're going to spend most of our time in verses 34 and 35, where Jesus gives us this simple, basic instruction, this simple command that I think can change our lives and the community around us. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, but not everyone who's there, whom Jesus has served, whom Jesus has loved, will follow him in faith. After exhorting his disciples at the end of, in verses 12 through 17, telling them to follow him in serving one another, follow him in sacrificial love, he says that the scriptures will be fulfilled, and he quotes part of Psalm 41. Look at verse, uh, excuse me, verse 18, the second half of it. It says, he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And he says he's telling them this so that they know that when all this stuff starts to happen, they'll know that he is who he says he is. He really is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about the fact that Judas, one of the twelve, is not only going to abandon Jesus and walk away from following Jesus, he's going to betray Jesus. He's going to pave the way to his crucifixion. A crucifixion that comes at the demand and insistence of the religious leaders and at the hands of the Roman government. In verse 21, he says plainly, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. One of you will betray me. Now, you can imagine this throws the disciples for a loop. They're not expecting this. They don't anticipate this. They're not looking for this to happen. And so when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, they're, they're starting to freak out a little bit, like looking around this small group of people saying, I'm not planning on doing that. Are you planning on doing that? Like, what's going on here? And so you can imagine there's lots of confusion and whispers going on. And as we saw in the text, Simon Peter looks to John and says, hey, go ask Jesus. Go ask Jesus who it's going to be. So John asks this question, who is going to do this? And Jesus says, the person I give the dipped piece of bread to is the one. And he gives it to Judas. Now, we already know from John 13, 2 that we looked at last week that Satan had put this idea in Judas's heart and in his mind. Now we see in verse 27 that Satan actually enters into him. Jesus doesn't resist Judas in this moment. Jesus, Jesus doesn't seek to reason with Judas in this moment, saying, no, Judas, I don't want you to do this. And he simply tells them what you're going to do, do quickly. So Judas left immediately, and it was night. The darkness of the cross is looming up ahead. Now, throughout my life in ministry, especially during times when things have been difficult or challenging, something that I've come to realize is always true. There's three things that are always true. One is that God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. The second is that Satan is at work. And the third is sin is present. God is sovereign. Satan is at work. And sin is is present. And in life, when we're walking through difficulties and challenges, we don't always know how all of those things work together. Like, where does God being in control start and stop? And is Satan doing this or is it my own sin? I'm not always clear about how all those things work together. But knowing the first one helps me with the second two. The fact that I know God's in control, that nothing's happening outside of this. He's not wringing his hands going, oh no, this wasn't part of the plan. No, God knows everything, even if we don't always know what he's up to. This moment, the story of Jesus' life is an example of that. 
We see it says the scriptures must be fulfilled, Jesus says. This is part of God's plan. He's in charge of all of this. Jesus lets Judas go and do this. He's not resisting him. He's not fighting against him. He's sovereign over the situation. We see Satan at work as he enters into Judas and gives him this idea. And we see sin is present because Judas is his own individual person who's responsible for his own actions. It's important for us to understand this as we see Jesus head to the cross. But Jesus doesn't become distracted in this moment. He he doesn't become despondent or disillusioned in this moment. No, he becomes focused and intentional. And it's in this that he gives his remaining disciples and he gives us these instructions that are essential for life. Instructions and direction that's essential for thriving together in community. In verses 31 and 32, he says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Jesus is looking ahead to what's going to happen, that now everything's really set in motion. This is all going to come to fruition because Judas has left to go talk to the religious leaders. And so Jesus is looking ahead to this. It's all about to happen. And we have to recognize that sin has marred humanity and all of creation. You and I find ourselves groaning under the weight of the brokenness of our world. And Jesus' disciples would have been in that same place. But there's a rescue plan that's been put in place. That's talked about all the way back in the book of Genesis. That God has put together to rescue and redeem the brokenness of this world. The brokenness of our own lives. He shows it in his pursuit of his people throughout the Old Testament. And now it's being fulfilled in and through Jesus. Because because of that, Jesus is glorified. Because of that, the Father is glorified. So Jesus solemnly and tenderly says to these 11 men that are now left in this room, verse 33, little children. What a term of endearment to them. He's not belittling them. He cares for them. Little children, yet a little while, and I am with you. He will seek me. And just as I have said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Because of this impending reality of the cross, Jesus knows that he's about to leave. And so he seeks to prepare his disciples for his departure. Now, announcing this is going to set the disciples off kilter again. Wait a minute, Jesus. You're going where? Jesus is going to address that in our text next Sunday. But now he gives a simple instruction. What he tells his disciples in verses 34 and 35 is what he expects of them What he expects of you, if you're a follower of Christ now, while he's away. Verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Here it is, this basic command, this simple instruction. What is it? Love one another. Love one another. That's it. That's that's all that he's telling us to do. It's basic, it's simple, but doesn't mean it's easy to follow. Notice Jesus says this is a new command that he's giving to them. How is it new? How is this command new that Jesus is giving to them? I mean, Jesus has already said earlier that he could sum up all the law and the prophets with two commands, that we are to love God above everything else and we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. So how is this new? What's different about this command? Two things. One, who he's specifically calling us to love, and two, how he's calling us to love them. Who he's calling us to love and how he's calling us to love them. Notice first he says, love one another. 
Love one another. This isn't a call to love your neighbor, though we are still certainly called to do that. No, Jesus is talking about loving other followers of Christ, other believers. So we may think, okay, great, I got that. Like, just love my brothers and sisters. I can, I can do that. I can love my fellow Christian. But then this leads to the second thing that makes this simple instruction new and not so easy. How are we to love our brothers and sisters? Jesus tells us, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And this changes everything. This changes everything. Jesus doesn't give any nuances in this. He doesn't give any exceptions. He doesn't say, love your brothers and sisters just as I have loved you, except for those people you don't like. Or those people that are different than you. Or those people that get under your skin and annoy you. Or those people that think differently than you do. No, Jesus tells us to love as he loved us, which means that how we love one another can't be defined by what culture says love is. How we love one another can't be defined by our own likes and dislikes or preferences. It can't be defined by anything other than Jesus' love for us. So how does Jesus love us? And we spent time talking about this last week. But I don't know about you, but I preached this sermon last week, and it's still easy for me to forget what we talked about last week. Easy for me to forget in the day-to-day of my life how Jesus actually loves me, how he actually loves you if you are in Christ. We need to be reminded of it regularly because we're so easily distracted. It's so easy for us to forget. So let's rehearse it again. And the kind of love that Jesus shows to his own is serving love. He places others' needs above his own. Philippians 2 tells us that we should live our lives in the same way, just like Jesus who humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. We saw that on display last week in the washing of feet. Jesus' love is a humble love. It's not a proud love. It's not a boastful love. He's not saying, don't you know who I am? I deserve all of your love. No, it's a humility, a love that's soaked in humility as he comes. It doesn't demand his own way. It's a kind love. I mean, think about Jesus with the woman at the well who's kind of an outcast and has been cast aside from John chapter 4. Jesus speaks to her kindly. Even the fact that he talks to her at all, he's showing kindness to her. Jesus' love is a patient love. Think about Nicodemus coming to Jesus in John chapter 3, asking Jesus all of these questions. And Jesus doesn't put him on blast. And Jesus speaks to him and guides him and teaches him and is patient with him. And Jesus' love is a forgiving love. He heals the blind man who's getting just crushed by the Pharisees, asking him all these questions. But then Jesus goes and seeks him out and speaks to him again and tells him he can be forgiven of his sin. Jesus' love is a bearing with love. I mean, anytime we look at the disciples, we've got to see Jesus bears with these men who are arguing at times, who don't get what's going on at times, Jesus continues to bear with them. Jesus' love is an advocating love. Do you know that you and I have an accuser that stands before the Father day and night and accuses you because of your sin, accuses you because of your rebellion, throwing things at you and your character and your reputation before the Father, where you have an advocate that stands there and says, no, he's mine, she's mine. He advocates for you in love. Your accuser has no power in your life. And Jesus' love is a sacrificial love. 
The sacrificial love. Jesus is going to the cross for you, as we talked about last week, not in a general sense, but specifically having you in mind, knowing everything about your life, past, present, and future. Jesus goes in a sacrificial act of love for you, his hands and his feet nailed to the cross for you, that all of God's cumulative judgment might be poured out on him instead of you. That's Jesus' love. He removed all of your sin from you, and in exchange for that, gave you all of his righteousness. Not because you deserve it, because he loves you. Jesus' love isn't partial love. It's not fickle love. He loved you in your unlovableness. He loved you in the midst of your sin, and he sought you out, not when you were looking for him. He sought you out to bring you in and to rescue you and redeem you. Jesus' love is not a love that just says, I'm going to put up with you. Because I have to. And Jesus seeks you out. He embraces you. He doesn't retract when you sin. He doesn't turn a cold shoulder toward you. He doesn't grow weary of you or burdened by you. No, Jesus continues to pursue you. Jesus doesn't ghost you. Jesus doesn't gaslight you. And Jesus is always present, ready to help you in time of need. Jesus' love is a staying love. It's a love, like we saw last week, that goes to the end. Brothers and sisters, this is the standard of love. This is the standard of love by which you and I are called to love one another. Not with what the world talks about or teaches. Jesus' kind of love isn't sentimental love. It's not shallow love that lacks substance. This love, Jesus' kind of love, it has weight to it. I like the word ballast. It has ballast to it. There's a hardiness to Jesus' love. And that's the kind of love we're called to show one another. My guess is, for all of us at different points in our own lives and in relationships, we can look at our lives and see that our love for one another doesn't always look like Jesus' love for us. Why is that? Why don't we love like Christ? Because the reality is, we like to be the center of our lives. We like the world to revolve around us. We like to build our own little kingdoms where our preferences become laws and we demand justice for anyone who would step on our toes. We like to be the middle of everything. But Jesus' love, Jesus' love takes you out of the center of your life. Jesus' love takes you out of the center of your life and puts Jesus at the center of your life. 2 Corinthians 5.15. We're able now, because we have a new heart, because we have a new life, to live for Jesus for the community of people that he's placed us in. See, Jesus' love, this kind of love, it's a stabilizing force. It's a stabilizing force in the midst of an unstable world that's tossed to and fro on the waves of what's best for me. What's best for me? Love one another as and like Jesus has loved you. Love one another like Jesus has loved you. Those are the marching orders for this new community of Jesus' people. And if you are a follower of Christ, this is what he calls you to do with the people in this room. So what does that actually look like? How do we actually do this? Well, before we get into the specifics, I need to make sure we understand something here. This is not a call for you and I to roll up our sleeves and get to work. It's not a call for you to say, okay, I'm not loving each other, my brothers and sisters well, so I've got to try harder and do better. I need to be someone who loves better. No, this isn't a call to do that because you can't do this on your own. 
This kind of love, Jesus' kind of love, isn't something that you can just kind of open up a box and press play and plug in and just ready to go. You need empowerment to do this. Jesus isn't just your example. He's your means to be able to do this. It isn't you, but Christ in you that enables you to love one another like Jesus loves. He's going to say later in John chapter 15, apart from him, you can do nothing. This is a great example of that. You can't love one another like Jesus loves you apart from Jesus leading you and empowering you. We love because he first loved us. But can we just admit this is still really hard? This is really hard for us. I want you to think about something for a minute. Why do you think that Jesus gives this command at this point after Judas has just left to go betray him and abandon him? Jesus isn't like, ah, you know, I was going to talk about a few other things before I leave, so let me just talk about this now. No, Jesus is always intentional. He's always intentional about what he's doing. So why does he share this now? Remember the the three things I said are always true? That God is sovereign, Satan is at work, and sin is present. Our enemy, our adversary, he doesn't have a lot of tricks. He doesn't have a lot of schemes and tactics, but the ones he does have, he uses incessantly, and he's really good at them. He's a liar. He's a divider. Our enemy seeks to create disunity amongst God's people by speaking lies into our hearts and ears so that we would not trust each other, so we wouldn't love each other. He wants to break us up. He wants to destroy us. So you and I have to be aware, we have to be on guard against the tactics of the enemy who would seek to do these kinds of things. We have to strive to maintain the unity that Jesus purchased for us. That we're brought together because of Christ. So in this moment, Jesus knows where he's going. He knows he's going to the cross and ultimately he'll be raised from the dead. And ultimately, though, he'll ascend into heaven at the right hand of the Father. He knows he's not going to be present with his disciples in this moment. And he knows that Satan isn't going to stop his attacks against you. He's going to keep coming for you. And our own sin, our own selfishness as people who are still in process, who God's still working out our sanctification, Satan's going to use all of those things and we're going to start to tear each other down and be destroyed from the inside out. But God, our God, is still sovereign. And the gates of hell will not prevail against his church or his people. So Jesus tells us in this moment, after Judas goes to do this, love one another just as I have loved you. In order for you and I to be able to do this, we have to do two things regularly. We have to come back to Jesus' words here and ask ourselves, how does Jesus love me? Like, I don't want you to walk out of this room tonight and go home and think about, well, I need to do better and try harder. I want you to go home and I want you to reflect on Jesus' love for you. That you would be overwhelmed by it. You'd be amazed by it. Because as you rest in that reality, as you reflect on that reality, it's then that you can start to operate out of it to be able to love those around you. So first, ask yourself, how does Jesus love me? And then second, ask yourself, am I loving my brothers and sisters the same way that Jesus loved me? And what if we actually asked ourselves those questions on a daily basis, a weekly basis? What might God do in our midst? If we're going to love like Jesus loves, this means that just like Jesus, we don't ghost each other. Somebody wrongs us or we don't like something they say we just start ignoring them not paying attention to them we don't gaslight each other like so many people do in abusive relationships we don't gossip or slander one another 
We don't assume the worst in one another or assign motive like we know what is going on in someone's heart or life. We don't sow seeds of discord or division. We don't bite and devour one another. We aren't selfish and self-focused. No, instead, like Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on these. These are the kind of things that model Jesus' love and community, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And then Paul says, and above all these, put on love. Love, which binds everything together in perfect Harmony. This is the kind of love that we're called to exemplify to one another, to show to one another. This comes out of the fact that Jesus has saved us and changed us and transformed our heart in life. It's not a love that keeps a record of wrongs. It's not a love that demands its own way. 1 Corinthians 13 isn't just a text to be read at a wedding. It's a text that we need to come back to regularly. If we want to know what love is and say, God, would you help me to have this kind of love for the people you've put in me in community with? Brothers and sisters, this is not a lesser call to love that Jesus is called to love your neighbors. It's not a lesser call that Jesus is called to love even your enemies. There's no reduction in his calling for love for you. It's a call to love your brothers and sisters even more. And maybe why he gives this simple instruction here is because sometimes it's actually harder to love my brothers and my sisters than my non-believing neighbor. Like sometimes I'm, I'm not able to love my brothers and sisters in this certain way because I'm in community with them. And man, we don't always see eye to eye. It's messy sometimes. But you know what? It's in the midst of this sometimes messy community of saints, these people that are sitting around us today that are watching online, that are in process of becoming more like Jesus, that God uses to help you become more like Jesus, to sanctify you, to change you. True love, this kind of love, Jesus' kind of love, it's refined and it's deepened. I think most often when you're placed in a context with a group of people that aren't like you, they don't always think the same way, they don't have the same backgrounds, they don't have the same perspectives, but are desperate to follow their king. We can help one another with that. You and I should strive for and long to be a community that is only explainable because of the gospel. That what binds us together isn't the same looks or likes or dislikes or preferences. What binds us together is the grace of God and the gospel. What binds us together is the love of Christ that's been lavished on us. That all of us were once dead in the sin and trespasses of our flesh, but through Christ have been reconciled to God. You and I have a new identity now. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this is especially important right now. Tuesday is a significant day in the life of our country. But let me first remind you, before I talk about how that has to do anything with our love, let me first remind you of something that I need to come back to and remember, and I hope you'll remember this week, is that regardless of the outcome of what happens on Tuesday or whenever we find out the outcome, is that Jesus is now and will still be the King of Kings. He'll still sit on the throne He's still in charge, and my hope is in that truth, in that reality, and I hope yours will be too. 
You know, I've been troubled by something in the last few months. Not that Christians have different political differences. They're different perspectives or opinions. What I've been troubled by is how fellow followers of Jesus have been treating one another. How they've been treating one another publicly and privately on social media and blogs and conversations because of those differences. See, we seem to have lost the ability to have Christ-centered, loving conversation with one another. To be slow to speak and quick to listen. Instead, we just kind of turn our ears off and just speak over one another. We seem to have lost the ability to engage with other brothers and sisters who think differently than we do. Man, that makes me sad. Makes me sad for the church. Now, maybe for you, it's not just a matter of opinion, but right belief. And that's good. As Christians, we should care about truth. We, after all, follow a king of a different kingdom who has different ethics than the way this world would call us to live, different engagement and different worldview. We should care about truth. Truth is important. Sin is serious. And so Paul calls us to speak the truth in love to one another, to help one another grow to maturity in Christ, to warn each other if we see each other straying away from the truth of the gospel, to encourage one another because sin is deceitful. But in that, as we journey together, we have to understand something about one another. We're not all in the same place on our journey. Some of us are stronger in faith. Some of us are weaker in faith. And what we're stronger and weaker in isn't always the same things. But our love for one another, hear me on this, our love for one another is never contingent on the strength of your faith. Our love for one another is never contingent on the maturity of the brother or sister who's sitting across the table from you. Your love for one another, our love for one another is rooted in Christ and his love for us. So to say that you love Christ, but don't love your brother or don't love your sister, especially the ones you disagree with, shows you have a misunderstanding of Christ and the kind of love he's shown you. So hear me on this. If you have all the knowledge in the world, if you have perfect wisdom and understanding about everything in life, and you're looking to your brother and sister and you're saying, I want to share that with you. I want you to know all of these things, but you don't love them. And Paul says, you're a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And nobody likes those. Listen, if we can't be in loving community with one another, regardless of the outcome of an election, we've already lost. And that's what our adversary wants. He's seeking to devour you. He's seeking to destroy you and to divide God's people. He's seeking to deceive you. Friends, our culture is moving more and more away from the things of God. We shouldn't be surprised by that. There's all the more reason we need one another. We need one another to stand firm and faithfully follow King Jesus, whether that becomes less advantageous in our time in this world or not in this present age. We need one another to keep following our king. Now, why do I say this? Why does this matter? Well, certainly for the unity of the body in the midst of a divided world. It's important for us to be able to come alongside of one another and love each other in this way so we can stay connected with each other, but also because that divided world is watching you. Look at verse 35. Jesus says, By this, this loving one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
Loving one another just as Jesus loved us matters, not just because Jesus, Jesus told us to, though, though he did. It matters not just because love covers over a multitude of sins, though it does. It matters because it's by your love for one another that all people, not just some people, he says, all people will know that you're my disciples. I mean, this is huge. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that what shows that you're actually saved from your sin, that you actually have a relationship with God, isn't how much theology you know. What shows that you're saved from your sin isn't your ability to quote scripture. It isn't in how much you give or serve or evangelize your neighbor. It's how you love one another. It's how you love one another. Why? Why would Jesus say this is what shows that you're really one of my disciples? Because you can't do this unless you're one of Jesus' disciples. You can't love like this unless Jesus is the king of your life. Love like this for one another is evidence of a new heart. It's evidence of a transformed life. And our world is in desperate need of redemption. It's in desperate need of rescue. It is longing for and looking for good news and trying to build a perfect world apart from Christ. And that's never, ever going to work. And you and I say with our mouths that Jesus is the answer. But oftentimes, the way we treat one another doesn't seem to say that's true. Brothers and sisters, this new command, it's not an unbearable burden. We're not supposed to go out of here and read this and get crushed by it. No, this is a privilege for us that Jesus gives. A privilege for us now to show and shine and share this other world kind of love to a watching world. And I long for us to be a community that's only explainable because of the gospel. Because when that happens, when we actually strive towards this and work toward it, empowered by the Holy Spirit, led by Jesus, you know what happens is we're not just a community that's explainable because of the gospel, we become an attractive community. That when someone who doesn't yet know Christ, your neighbor or your coworker or your classmate, sees and experiences our community, it sees our love for one another, that's a real love, a palpable love, a, a deep love, a genuine love, and looks around at us and says, wait, you guys shouldn't all get along. You didn't vote the same way. You don't think the same way. Why in the world do you get along? They're, they're attracted to that because there's nothing else like it in this world. There's no other place they can find that kind of love except amongst God's people. So oftentimes they want to be a part of it. We've seen that happen in the life of our church over the last eight years, that people have met Christ because they've started to experience the community of Christ's people. But you know what? When that happens, when they say, man, I want that, I want to be a part of that, we can testify, friend, it's not us. It's Jesus in us. That's what you're attracted to. Now, I know this is not always the case in any church. We don't always love one another in this way, even in our church. Maybe some of you have been hurt in a local church, or even in this church. When I think about my own life, my deepest relational wounds in my life haven't come from non-believers, they've come from professing Christians. And that's true for me, and I'm sorry if that's the case for you too. When we don't love one another like Jesus, it doesn't honor Jesus. And that's not okay. But if that's your experience, please don't let it drive you to despair. Please don't let it drive you to disengage with the community of saints. See, I've realized in my own life, whether I've been the wounder or the wounded in relationship, I have to come back to who I am in Christ. I have to come back to how Jesus has loved me and what he says is true of me. And I gain hope again. 
I gain hope again that he can work in my heart and my life so that I can love my brothers and sisters in a way that honors him and glorifies him. And I have hope because I know that he can do the same thing in, each other, in, in other people's lives as well. So I want to encourage you to do the same thing, to reflect on Jesus' love for you. That in Christ you are no longer condemned, but dearly loved. We aren't always going to get it right. You aren't always going to get it right. And when we recognize that we're not loving each other in the way that Jesus has loved us, then we should repent. Individually, corporately, should we come before the Father and ask Him to forgive us of our way we haven't been loving one another in this way? So let me ask you, where might you need to do that today? Is there someone you need to ask forgiveness of? Is there someone that you are recognizing that God has called you to love and you've been avoiding them, not engaging with them, not pursuing them in love? Let me encourage you to take a step of faith this week to be who God has called you to be, a person who has been deeply loved and can now deeply love others. I believe that God's plan A for reaching the world is the local church. A church that is rooted in the gospel of grace, striving to exemplify the love of Christ. When we take this simple instruction from Jesus and strive to live, strive to live it out together, we become an unstoppable force of reconciliation and redemption because we model and we show forgiveness and mercy and grace. We show what it looks like from God because we give it to one another. Brothers and sisters, may our lives together be marked by the never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love of God in Christ for you. And may God be glorified in us and through us because of it. We're going to come forward and take communion now. And this is a meal that reminds us both of Jesus' love for us and that his love and sacrifice for us is what's brought us together. We eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for us, and we drink the cup, a, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us. And this meal is a gift of grace to refresh us in our own communion with God, that you would sit and as you eat and drink would reflect on the love that Jesus has shown you. And it's a gift to refresh us in the community of Jesus' people. So as you eat and drink today, look around. Look around and give thanks that you aren't eating and drinking alone that there are other brothers and sisters here with you. Look around and give thanks that one day we will eat together in perfect communion with the Father, in perfect community in the new heavens and the new earth. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad that you're here this afternoon. I hope that what you've heard in this is that Christ loves you and he sacrificed himself for you and that we're trying to be who God's called us to be. But instead of taking communion today, if you don't yet know Christ, I just want to encourage you to take Christ, that you cry out to God and God and tell him that you want that kind of love, you need that kind of love, that your hope is in Jesus and him alone. If you have questions about what it means to know Jesus or follow him, please come up and talk to me afterwards or anybody else in this room or a friend that you came with. We want you to know Jesus and want to help you follow him. For those of you that will take the communion elements, if you didn't grab them on the way in, they're out on the table, out in the lobby. You can go grab those. There's bread and the cup kind of combined together. And I just want to encourage you just to take time before you eat and drink, just to pray and thank God for his love for you, to confess if you haven't been loving, to repent even in this moment, and then to eat and drink and be refreshed in the depth of your soul for the love that has been lavished on you in Christ. And then we're going to continue to sing together.
Let's pray. God, we thank you for your wonderful, lavish love for us. God, I pray that you would help us to rest in that, that we would reflect on it often, that we would be so overwhelmed by your love for us shown to us in Christ. And God, I pray that you'd help us to love one another the same way. Help us to be a community that is only explainable because of the gospel. God, in a divided world, may our love and unity attract people, not to us, but to Christ in us. Give us opportunities, even this week, God, to testify to how we treat one another, how we love one another, that would be attractive to the world that so longs for good news. Thank you for your grace. Forgive us for where we haven't loved each other well. And God, help us to take a step of faith this week to honor you and glorify you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.